This is Voiceit. This podcast is all about showcasing talented people in the Clare Valley and the mid north of South Australia who've built up businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. I'm Annabelle Homer. Cool gun, fast car. I was like, I'm, I, I could do vintage, that. and I mean, I just really partied. It was, you know, so much money for a 20-year-old. I drank a lot of it. I'm not a great studier. I have trouble retaining information I'm off a book. obviously fantastic Pasho. Well, Nan loved a beer. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, she tried it and she loved it. So, of course, her yeah, grand, granddaughter made it. And if someone buys my wine, mum beams with pride. She's almost, like, pointing at me like, she made it. <laughs> my guest this week is the funniest person I have ever met. Big statement, I know, but truly, I laugh so hard my chest hurts every time I chat to this woman. And I'm sure anyone who has met her would agree. Marnie Roberts is a winemaker in the Clare Valley in South Australia. As well as her quick wit and dry sense of humour, she makes beautiful wine and is making her mark in wine circles right across this state and over the border. She's originally from Mildura, growing up on a block with her parents and older brother Tony, where they grew citrus, dried fruit and wine grapes. And she hated every minute of it. All they did was work. Little did she know she would be as busy as a termite in a sawmill running her own successful wine enterprise 30 years later. She crossed the border and set up stumps in the Clare Valley back in 2008. Six years later, she established her own label, Matriarch and Rogue, inspired by her dear old nana. I sat down with Marnie in her shed on a cold, wintry day with the rain pounding on the roof sharing a Subway salad and a bottle of her finest red. Marnie describes herself as a floater, never had a solid plan and was never really overly ambitious either. She doesn't really sell herself very well, does she? But trust me, she is one talented lady. I wasn't ambitious, no. I I think... I found the thing that I could do that had the lowest TER and that was to be a policewoman. Ah, so I could see you as a policewoman. Yeah, because I was like, yeah, cool, a gun, fast car. I was like, I'm, I could do that. And I filled out all the forms. And then in the physical, I had to they you know, something about jumping a six-foot wall. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And then my mum at the time, she worked uh, for Melly Accommodation um, Support Program and some sexual assault units and stuff in Mordura. So okay. she sort of said, as a policewoman, you know, at that time, this is 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, you'll be put into, you know, domestic violence and all the, the really hard things. And she goes, you know, how would you handle that? Like, so she's given me a bit of a psych session. And I said, I would probably shoot them. <laughs> and I, you know, if someone molested a child, I would shoot them. So she went, perhaps this isn't the path for you. <laughs> so, so bless her cotton socks. So I was like, yeah, cool, fair enough. And um, being a winemaker seems a lot less violent. Yeah, well, I didn't even yeah. choose that. I, oh, okay. No, I so worked. what was the next choice? Uh, I just wanted to travel the world. That was it. I, I really was a bit of a floater. And uh, I worked for a mining company for a year and worked in the lab there and went out into the uh, bush and you know, sourced samples and did all that kind of stuff. And then a, a friend of mine who worked in the winery, she was a lab manager in a big bulk winery in Mordura, 
was the was the one that came to me and said, "Hey, you can work in a lab. Do you want to come and work in a lab for vintage?" And I was like, "Yeah, all right. How much do you pay?" And uh, it was enough to get some money to go overseas. Oh, okay. So that was my incentive, and um, and it was just all downhill from there, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. So was that your first taste of that, working in vintage or did you do a little bit when you were growing up in Mildura? No, so my first vintage I was probably, I was 19 or 20, I think, probably 20. I did the vintage and I mean, I just really partied. It was, you know, so much money for a 20 year old. And so we were, you know, out every weekend and skiing and. What was the money like? Oh, like it was over a thousand dollars a week. It was just 20 plus years ago. Oh, that's pretty good. And I was living at home with mum and dad. Like I had no overheads. I drank a lot of it, but I saved a fair bit as well because I did have a dream to go overseas. So I did. A, I ended up staying. They left, left me on full time for that year. I did another vintage and then I went over to America. So it was my first trip overseas by myself. And I did a vintage over in Sonoma Valley in one of the oldest wineries there called Buena Vista in the Los Canaras area. And the winemaker there was female as well, Judy Merlich Whites. And if you see the movie Sideways, yes, she's actually the winemaker. When they go to a winery there, she actually serves them the wine. Oh, right. Judy. And she was the first one to sort of say to me, she took me out for lunch. It's an awesome Mexican restaurant. It's fantastic. Everything's Mexican over there. And she sort of said, you know, your palate's really good and your pretty problem solving's great and you're pretty logical. Have you ever thought of being a winemaker as a career? I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose I could. And she was alluding to offering me a, a job as assistant winemaker. And I'm just like, yeah, but I've bought a Subaru wagon, 400 bucks. And I just want to drive up and down the west coast of America. And, you know, I've, I just, I've got to meet up with my friends. And I was so focused on traveling and just seeing the world that I didn't probably appreciate at the time what she was saying. Oh, so she didn't actually offer... No, she offered it to another girl, Nadine, who was from New Zealand, and she was well into it. And I okay. think think that was the better choice. <laughs> I definitely think that was the better choice. So, After America, when you got back, what did you do then? Did you decide, okay, I'm going to go and study? No, no, no. I'm not a great studier. I have trouble retaining information off a book, and I'm a very practical learner. And that's probably one of the issues I had in high school as well is, you know, I could if it, was, if it was spoken to me and, and, and things, um, I could pick it up easily. If it was shown, it was in there. And things that I really loved that made sense. Anyway, so exam situations, I, my anxieties didn't help either growing up. So I, would, I was never great in exam situations. So there was no – the formal line of education doesn't work for me. University wasn't really in my books. But when I came back after a few years of travelling and working, I uh, was offered a job – just as a in the lab of a another winery in Mordura. And I worked my way up from a simple sample coordinator, which is basically I'd go out and get samples from tanks to send off. And that was it. Oh. And I'd taste them. That tastes pretty good. They should buy that. Fantastic. And off it would go. And then I did some work in the lab. And then I was all of a sudden um, assistant winemaker. Not all of a sudden. I mean, this is years of work and, mm. and showing an interest in everything and, you know, doing the extra hours. You know, I was really obsessed by it by then. And assistant winemaker and then winemaker. So I sort of worked my way up through without any formal education. How many years did that take? Probably t- like my late 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I probably should study and get this bit of paper there. I was like, you need a degree to go any further. And I was like, eh, whatever. 
So did you ace it? Did no, you find it? I found it annoying because I was working and I did the Charleston uni by distance. So it'd be two weeks there, and then you'd be in your own time to study. And um, massive procrastinator back then. I think when you have a child, you stop procrastinating. But prior to that, massive procrastinator. I was right at like, yeah, the tasting part and the plant physiology and all that stuff. I loved all that stuff. That made sense to me. Um, chemistry and, you know, the bird cages and the equations. Shit house. So bad at it because I couldn't, it wasn't tangible to me. Whereas physics, it's great. I love physics. I passed that flying colours because there's an equation there's your problem. You slot the bits into the equation. It gives you an answer. I'm like, cool. There's a method. There's a method. Yeah. I can do that. Whereas it, winemaking isn't that at all. It's tasting it and going, oh, that tastes a bit wrong, but I know to do this. Mm. But I can't explain the base chemical things. So anyway, so I did about five years of a six-year degree and I still haven't completed it. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a bit busy. So I'm a, a degreeless winemaker. What made you just not just finish it off? Oh, I was a bit busy. Yeah, I think. You don't want to finish it? You think, no, nah, that ship has sailed. Yeah, it has. I don't feel this overwhelming drive to have that bit of paper. I don't see how that's going to make what I do now any better or any worse. Or, you know, I'm not going to get that bit of paper and touch it. And it's like the hand of God, like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's going to buy my wine. Mm. It's mm. I don't have any high aspirations now to finish that degree I you know was offered a job here in in um, Clare at Takiri Hill and worked there for eight years and in that time started this brand unintentionally meaning I what didn't intend for all of this to happen matriarch and rogue it just I wanted to make a wine for my nana for her 100th birthday and that was it so that's how it all started the Alice Shiraz is only wine I was going to make. So she was 97. I said, I'm going to make a wine and we can all drink it for your 100th birthday. Give you a parade. So you left Mildura, got a job at Kerry Hill here in the Clare Valley. Yeah, but in that time as well, so I had also worked down at Hazelgrove in McLaren Vale mm-hmm. um, in one of my back and forths as well. So I wasn't just back and forth to Mildura. I was, you know, doing other things as well. So right. I've been one of those really lucky bastards that, you know, has just kept, I just keep falling into stuff or opportunities arise. And I think that does happen for everyone, but it's just an awareness and, you know, constant crossroads. Like, yes, I'm going to go do that. So that was offered to me and over I came. I was with my current, I say current husband. I'm, I'm going to just stop you here now because I think we need to make reference to, we're sitting in a shed and it is raining and yeah. you might hear the rain in the background, but it has been raining the whole time we've been doing this interview and it's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of happy people right now. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, going back to the uh, future husband. Matt, uh, my current husband. Current husband <laughs> was, was back then. I say future. that like there might be another husband, but he's my husband. I should just full stop. Um, he, we were together for a month. Um, before I got the job here and we're kind of you know it was just a month and it was very casual and I was just being really polite and I just said I'm going to Claire would you like to come and he said yes and I thought oh shit wow yeah he must, he must have really liked you I'm obviously fantastic Pasho and <laughs> <laughs> and um we so we came to Claire we knew no one I hadn't been to Claire for ever I didn't even really know where Claire was. I drank some Claire wines and we moved in together after a month in a strange town. We hardly knew each other. And, and 
that was it. So, um, so yeah, so that was quite overwhelming as well. That took a lot to get used to. I bet. Yeah. And so, so how many years were you at Kerry Hill for? So for eight years. Eight years. Yep. And when you decided to make this wine for your nana, yes, was that pretty much straight away when you first got to Claire and you were working no. on that at the same time you were at Kerry Hill? No. Okay, no. so when did that eventuate? Um, I think we were at a family dinner over in Mildura and we are pretty – all good decisions are made with a few drinks. And I just, you know, made a statement that I want, I want to make a wine for you then. I love you so much. I want a, na- a wine named Alice. And she's like, oh, don't be silly. Don't waste your time on that. And I was like, no, I think I should make a wine. Like, I've been doing this for a fair while now. I, I might make one myself. And that, that was a pretty snap decision. So I bought some fruit off the then um, CEO or – CEO that's still there now and that was it done a couple of tons cool yep and so what you got hooked after that and decided to make one for the entire family or well <laughs> how did, how did well then the because rest of it eventually well another a few trucks came in that vintage and there was some really nice Sangiovese and some really nice Tempranillo and as it was getting crushed I just siphoned off a ton or two and rang the grower as it was coming in and as I was already doing it said oh would you mind if I bought a couple of tons having already taken it out and they're like, yeah, cool, no worries. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Phew. <laughs> so I had three wines and, and then, you know, Matt and I, my husband Matt and I just sort of <clears throat> chatting away and I said, oh, there's probably something in this. Like I could make it for all the matriarchs because we had, Nan had four other sisters. So there was five very strong women. And then I think it was my mum or someone said, what about the husbands? And I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose. So the rogues. And then it kind of – so everything I've done has evolved. Nothing's been forced. Nothing's been really well thought out. It's just kind of what feels right, mm. and that's how this happened. So Matriarch and Rogue evolved, and the logo you see was a piece of chipboard that my husband took from O'Leary Walker out of the bin, and he said, draw a tree. And I went, yeah, cool, because it was a cool piece of chipboard, like really big, fat stuff, and I drew a tree, and he cut it out, and I went, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's use that as the logo. Oh, you make it sound so easy. Well – I don't know. And then, yeah, sent it to a friend I went to high school with. I said, can you make up a, a logo? And he's like, yeah, cool. So we did it for like a case of wine and that was it. And now here we are. We've got our own winery and brand. And What does your nan think of what you've done? Well, nan, unfortunately, nan passed away at 99 and a half. She didn't quite make it to 100, but she saw the first two vintages. At that time, we hadn't built this winery. We only did this in 2018. Mm-hmm. So she had passed away then. And but I think she was quietly proud, proud of all her grandchildren. So it's just another another thing. I think probably the <laughs> did proudest. She, did she like her wine though? I mean, that's the most important thing. I know it's awkward, isn't it? Well, Nan loved a beer. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to make beer, and um, or she loved you know a glass of bubbles. But yeah, no, she tried it and she loved it. So of course, her yeah. grand, granddaughter made it. But the, probably the proudest person that's. It would have to be my mum, you know. She's moved to Clare in the last couple of months from Mildura. Oh, wow. To be with, I won't say me, but with their grandson, Oscar, because of COVID, they didn't see him for a year and I think it was the final decision. But she's the one that will walk down the street and go, oh, I'm Marnie's mum, you know, Marnie, the winemaker from Matriarch and Rogue. Yeah, that one. <laughs> so I could sit there in a restaurant and if someone buys my wine, mum beams with pride. She's almost like pointing at me like, she made it. <laughs> oh, Kaz. We're just having a stitch. Calm down. <laughs> but you, 
don't just source your grapes from the Clare Valley. You source your grapes from all over, yep. different different wine regions. Why are you doing that in the first place? Is, is there not enough complexity or variety in the Clare Valley? Probably, you know, it has evolved where growers talk. They're like a bunch of old cockies and if there's, there's a little bit of fruit that's a bit different, a lot of them just ring me and are you getting wet? Yeah, that's all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just oh. a few drops. Sorry. Oh, look at that beautiful rain. It's fantastic. Oh. I just realised, I'm like, oh, you're probably getting soaked. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm on the right side. I'm yeah, fine. I'm, yeah. no, I'm just, just a bit wet over here. I've got my raincoat and my umbrella. <laughs> well, you'll be right, princess. Um, there is some diversity in Clear Valley, and I think there's more and more. When I started this, there, there's a few backstories, I guess, to the brand and how it's been made as well so I have a, a love for alternative or emerging varieties in Australia and that comes from in Mildura one of the main reasons that made me perk up and realise wine was pretty cool was going to one of these the first alternative um, wine shows in, in Mildura and trying these wines that everyone was so excited about I had no idea how to pronounce or what I was drinking but they had this different flavour like they were exciting you know they weren't just Shiraz and Cabernet and Chardonnay and I thought oh that's that's cool I want to get in on that and so that's one of the core values of the brand and in Clare Valley we've got a few a lot of them are already tied up so it's it's quite hard coming in but South Australia is just you know it's amazing it's just got a flourish of all these beautiful varieties all these what I call site specific things so I like to buy fruit from growers that I work with throughout the year not, I don't just rock up before pick and go I'll have that and that are grown where they make sense you know so if it's a bit warmer should have a a variety that can tolerate that heat mm-hmm. and, it, and actually accentuates the, the flavour of, of the fruit. So we're into also working with growers. So we help to convert vineyards to with the growers. The Fiano project is probably what one What do you mean them. work to convert? So convert them to grow different varieties? You yeah, mean? Yep. yeah. So one of our growers here in Clare came and said, you know, this Riesling we grow never ripens, it cooks, it's shit. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And they said, what do you think we should grow? So we went actually investigated the site I went out and looked you know what's got commercial value as well like what are they going to grow that they can sell for the next 10 years we do that and then so they grafted Riesling onto this Fiano and I give them a five-year contract so they've got faith in they can sell all this fruit for the first five years of production and it changes the face of Clare Valley a bit too and you know there's another Shiraz vineyard that I work with um, back at Skilly Ridge there and it'd been mothballed and this couple weren't quite sure what to do, but it was dry grown and I thought this has got real value for Clare Valley. I don't need Shiraz, I've got enough. But again, a five-year contract and just had faith that once they converted it, there would be another fantastic vineyard in Clare Valley as a resource. So that had its first real crop, just this vintage gone and they got 12 tonne off this one section and it's, and it's magnificent. And so what variety was that? It's all Shiraz. All Shiraz. The whole vineyard. And I said, keep it as Shiraz because it's dry grown and it's... You know, it's got history. Now, we've got a bottle of wine here, and it's a, a I'm probably not going to say it right as usual, but Nero de Avola. Yep. That, that's right? That'll do. No, what is it really? Nero, I say Nero Diavola. Nero, Nero, Nero Diavola. Diavola, yeah. And that's Italian variety. Yes. How did you do your research to find out what would suit you? How, well, how, do, you, how do you know which direction to go in? I, I don't. <laughs> So this, this Nero and a Montepulciano and a Saparavi that I have is in a range and that came about from when I was working for another winery still, I went out and looked at some fruit for them and across the headland they had all these varieties and this was just before picking 
And I went across and tasted the fruit. And on the spot, I just love the fruit. Like the flavour in the vineyard. The fruit in the vineyard is where the wine's made. Mm. And if it tastes fantastic and the fruit's sound and it looks great, it's going to make great wine. So I was like, I'll have two tonnes of each of those. That was it. And so I'm like, shit, I've got to create a brand now for this. I just bought it because the fruit was delicious. And this Nero in particular is probably grown into one of our biggest selling wines across Victoria and, and South Australia and New South Wales because it's just so on point. Like, it's easy, it's mm. fleshy and, Doesn't you know. surprise me. Yeah. No, it's, so, lovely. it's lovely. And people's palates are changing and, you know, they're so knowledgeable now. They've got all the info in their hands and their phones and people aren't scared anymore to, to try it. So your American winemaker... Judy, Judy, yep. was on point when she said you've got a great palate. The fact that you can go into a vineyard and you can taste these grapes and know straight away that that is going to turn into a great wine. Yeah, a lot of my winemaking is done on like I'll be I'll walk the rows and taste the fruit and work out what to do. And I have this this picture in my head or this vision in my head of what it'll look like in bottle, and I try and guide that along to that point because then you've got the varietal characteristics. So no wine, no, there's no recipe. It's just accentuating what's in the vineyard. So Matriarch and Rogue, it's yep. been operating for how long now? Since 2014 was 2000. our first vintage. Seven years. Yep. Out of those seven years, what has been the toughest year? Every year from that year. <laughs> because I have, I have issues saying no. My husband uh, and a friend bought me a button that just says no and I've been encouraged to press it. But I get excited and I think this year's tough. Because I've gone from 35 tonnes to 93 tonnes this year. I've bought tanks. We now have a fairly established winery and brand and now I feel like I have responsibilities. <laughs> You've got a real job. I've got to like, oh, I've really got to have a proper go. I've got to sell stuff. But we've been, been pretty clever, I guess, in a way because most of the stuff that you see around here we, we own. You know, it's all, all growing uh, sustainably. You know, we don't have a massive debt. And I think that gives me a bit of freedom. It gives me weight off my shoulders. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of reasons why growers give us fruit as well is because we can pay our bills. And, you know, we're not, hopefully, massive dickheads to deal with. And I think that's really important. Like when you're dealing with people that are, grow things from, you know, real earthy people, you know, farmers or whatever, they're, at the end of the day, they just want to sell their product and not deal with crap. And get paid for it. And get paid for it, mm. exactly. Mm. So And love what they do. Yeah. yeah, and someone that really appreciates what they do as well. So I tend to, a lot of my stuff's single vineyard, so I'll take the wines once they're bottled to the growers and give them a six-pack if mm. I remember. Most of the time I try and remember. Or I encourage them to come to the winery. You know, come and try it. Come and have a look at it. Out of the whole process of winemaking, what's the one thing that you just can't stand about it? Yeah, I get really annoyed having to do... I've got a bookkeeper, thank God. But the whole, like, that trail, that the actual grown-up business part of it. And the cleaning. God, we clean a lot. Because, I mean, it's a food product, and I just feel like half the time I'm cleaning. In saying that, I'm also, I'm in a winery that we own in a sort of church environment where I can just do my own thing at my own pace. I saw a photo of you where you're bathing in a tank or a barrel of grapes. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I thought, oh... Are they your grapes? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's really bad. Um, Whose grapes were they? And not telling. Which, which one? Not telling. Um, we did have, you know, our undergarments on. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. But that was, that was fermenting like crazy. And so the CO2 that was being released out of that, when we got in, we actually couldn't breathe. 
and I got Oscar and Matt in as well. So we had to have someone on the side fanning air in so that we didn't suffocate. Like it was really fermenting. Like that was that was pretty crazy. So why did you do that? That was just a photo shoot for the I just wanted to. I said to Matt, I've always wanted a family portrait. <laughs> and I said, but <laughs> in the grapes. And and Matt was funny because he came and goes, oh, I've always wanted to do this. And I'm like, how exciting. And Oscar's just like, what are we doing? Like with any small business, it takes a long time to actually make any money. Oh, the What's first... the general rule? Yeah, I think probably you won't start – I don't think we'll start actually making a profit for another five or six years. I mean, I think ten years to get it established and, and going because you're always reinvesting, especially with the winery, like even a press. We've got a bag press now, which is amazing for our size. I mean, that's a massive investment and you use it for three months of the year. That's awesome. Well, I mean, high five. So – we're at the point now where I think we've got everything we need. There's certain things you buy every year, but I'm really hoping to turn a profit. But, you know, in saying that, I'm also okay with it because we have to pay tax. So my bookkeeper said to me, you know you're doing well when you start to pay tax. I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'm all right for now. <laughs> so yep. two and a half years, uh, you've had the cellar door on the main street. You've literally just closed it. Yep. Can I get the scoop and find out what you're doing next? Uh, yeah. So where where we are now? Is this a scoop or is this I'm um, just the last one to know? <laughs> no, no. I, I guess officially on the socials, it's a scoop. <laughs> Anything's on the socials. So we're in the winery, and out the front there is the paddock. So this property we, we actually um, we lease at the moment, and out the front is a beautiful paddock with self seeded gum trees and things like that. And I think I just got sick of working seven days and sitting in a shop by myself, or you know, I was always busy, but. Um, there was no room for expansion in that place and it was a small shop and you couldn't have events or anything like that. So we've got a shipping container coming to put out in the front paddock and we'll reuse, recycle. So we'll use pallets for decking, um, for fencing. We've got – I'll basically make it up as I go along. So that'll open the last weekend of every month. So it's a more event-based, like a mini gourmet, but every month. That's fantastic. And it's family-friendly. Like, you know, Matt can come and Oscar and people's families and you can bring your dogs as long as they pick up the poop. We'll have music and food. So when's this starting? I'm not rushing it. I need to have a break. I'm probably in a little bit of burnout at the moment. So by spring? Oh, definitely by spring. Yeah. Yeah. I said the last weekend of July and, and Matt just looked at me and I went, August? You know, I want it to be beautiful. So I want to put a garden on top of the shipping container as insulation and use all natural products and, you know, source what we can that's a bit more without my sort of environmental theory as well, yep. you know. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Yeah. I just hope I'm not as tired and that, you know, I'm just happy in doing what I'm doing. Matriarch and Rogue might be bigger, it might be smaller, it might, this might be it and that's okay. And Oscar? What does he think of what mum does, mum and dad? Oh, look, I think we're instilling a really good work ethic into Oscar and uh, a sense of humour, definitely, and just doing what he wants. There's no pressure at all to be a part of this. You know, there's no, you must be a winemaker and take this over. This is my dream. Um, We just really try and push that if you want your dreams, that's great, but you have to work for them. So I hope Oscar grows up going, yeah, had a pretty cool childhood. Mum chucked me in some fermenting grapes and nearly died and, you know, all that fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I better go. Um, Can I take the wine with me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course you can, you scab. (laughs) (laughs) Marnie Roberts, an absolute legend, funny woman 
and a talented winemaker, a great human in general. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed Marnie's story or any of the other Voiced episodes, please share with your friends. And if you've got a spare moment, I would love a rating or a review. To keep up to date with the episodes on the Voice It podcast, follow on Apple and Spotify or any of the socials. And if you're wondering what Voice It is all about, head to my website, voiceit.me. Catch you soon where you'll get to meet another talented small business owner making their mark in regional South Australia.